Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, and this is another one of my first look episodes. And if I sound a bit peaky, it's because I feel a bit peaky. I spent the whole weekend um, in college doing recording of counselling skills, because I'm trained to be a counsellor, and I think spending two days in air conditioning and not having a quiet time has left me feeling rotten. But I've managed to get a way of looking at these cards and yeah, what mayhem it is, isn't it? The Circle Undone in the UK, we've not yet had the first Mythos pack and we're expecting to have packs one and two on the same day, which is almost a mini deluxe, isn't it? Four player cards for each faction, more or less. The only thing we're not getting is investigators, two scenarios. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I'm trying to keep it as business as usual doing first looks, but I'm pretty glad I did the secret name as early as I did it because otherwise I'd be trying to do two on Thursday and I have guests staying and it's all mayhem. So yeah, anyway, as such, I'm doing my first look for the Wages of Sin now. I'm going to dive right in and do that. So let's take a look. We saw that there were allies announced for this pack by FFG quite a long time ago in the announcement article. And that's left me thinking that maybe this is the pack where we get a new ally for each faction and they could be potentially archetype defining. Allies are a big deal in this game. They're one of the most powerful slots. They're some of the most powerful cards. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Right. First card is it's Alice Luxley, the Fearless Flatfoot. This is a four cost guardian asset it's ally detective and police traded and has an intellect icon two health and two sanity you get plus one intellect reaction after you discover a clue exhaust alice luxley deal one damage to an enemy at your location please leave this to professionals if i find you poking around again i will bring you in think a lot of people are excited about alice and i think i'm one of those people too it's a four-cost static boost for intellect, which, we, I mean, that's familiar to us with a, a certain seeker ally. But rather than generating resources, this generates damage when you discover clues. And I suppose the big question around Alice is how do you get those clues without taking impact of opportunity and taking damage and horror yourself? So if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say there are people out there who look at this card and go, it's a guardian card, but it boosts intellect. I want my guardian allies to be boosted in combat because that's what I do as a guardian. And this card, to my mind, to my eye, as it's kind of I've ruminated on it and thought about it, fits into a space that we haven't really seen guardian explore as much. Or, of course, off-class guardians who might take it. So there's a couple of circumstances that I think are quite interesting, genuinely interesting, and get me excited about this card. The first is, if you're the kind of investigator who's not really doing any combat at all, your main role is investigation, in which case you can be contributing to the damage output of the team, but you're not in any way a dedicated fighter. So that situation arises where, say, your your sort of your dedicated fighter takes the enemies off you, and then when your turn, you crack on investigating, and as you do so, you do a, a ping of damage to an enemy. Maybe you investigate once, do a ping of damage to one enemy investigate again with inspiring presence ready alice and then do another ping of damage somehow something like that i'd have to think a bit more carefully about how that would work so that's option one let's call that uh 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sore head, so I can't think of anything to call it. I suppose it's it's adding damage from a class that wouldn't normally be doing damage. You know, think about the equivalent as well, something like I've got a plan where you wouldn't expect your seeker to be regularly dealing with enemies, but there might be that moment when there's a sudden explosion of damage. Alice is comparable in that you wouldn't expect the person running this to be regularly dealing with enemies, but they might be pinging enemies slowly but surely. But that's not all. This is where Alice gets more interesting to me, which is that as we've seen in this cycle, every class is getting new ways of getting clues, and some of those ways are testless ways. So, uh, for instance, we've seen that the card like Working Hunch in Joe Diamond has become much more popular because of his hunch deck. So in that instance, you have Alice in play and she's already giving you an intellect boost, but you play Working Hunch, get a clue for no cost and no actions, and then do a damage for no cost before you start fighting, say. Or even better is Scene of the Crime, where you've drawn an enemy, you can play Scene of the Crime first action, get two clues, and it doesn't provoke attacks of opportunity. And so then you get a damage out of it. And I see that as being particularly strong for three health enemies because you could Scene of the Crime first action, do one damage, then attack with your standard two damage weapon and kill the enemy. You've still got an action left. You're not kind of committing a whole turn to fighting with an enemy. And we've seen other ones as well. Interrogate now, which is a parlay action, so it also doesn't attack, uh, trigger attacks of opportunity, also in Guardian. And we've seen some other cards in other factions as well, which you won't go into all of them. Anyway, that to me is definitely intriguing. And where I see the tension is that Alice is still giving you the intellect boost, the static intellect boost, which implies investigating normally. And so say putting Alice in Roland, Roland doesn't want to really be testing intellect very much because Roland wants to get clues testlessly from killing enemies. So there's something slightly at odds there. Uh, which is all a way of saying I'm really excited about this card and we have to wait and see how to really fit it in. I don't think it's an auto-include in any deck. You know, Even the Joe example I gave about working a hunch, if I'm playing working a hunch, why am I boosting my intellect? Maybe I'm not. So so yeah, the place I, I, I feel most interested actually about it is that non-combat role. So someone like Carolyn, get her up to intellect five, her role is healing and getting clues, but now as she gets clues, she also throws out little chips of damage. Pretty nice. Okay, the second card is also a Guardian card. This is a zero-cost event, 1 XP with an agility icon. It's a gun stripped down into all of its constituent parts, and this is well-maintained. It's upgrade-traited, which is like reliable, maybe? Fast, play only during your turn. Attached to an item asset you control, limit one per asset. Reaction, after attached asset is discarded, return it to its owner's hand along with each other upgrade attachment that was attached to it. Oh, okay. This is a kind of guardian combo card where you're going to pile on reliable cards to, well, pile on upgrades to one card and then when you lose that card, you get them all back as long as you've spent an XP and not even an action to get this on them. Uh, it's nice. It's a little bit of asset protection, I suppose. Has to be an item asset, so you can't put it on first aid, say, which is talent and science. I suppose there's some kind of combination there with act of desperation, right? You put this down, 
you act of desperation a weapon, you end up with the weapon back in your hand. Yeah, that's kind of cool, I suppose. Wow, I bet there's a whole engine based around act of desperationing your 45 Thompson back to hand to then be able to get the resources for it again to play it again. Just kind of a nice reload mechanic, I suppose. Yeah, okay. Definitely feels niche. I think there'd be uh, there'd be an engine around which this would slot in. And maybe there are some item assets I can't think of as well. Quite like the idea, weirdly, of attaching this to something like a flashlight and investigating three times with flashlight, you're then happy for flashlight to be discarded to a crypt chill or whatever else. But in this instance, you then get flashlight back to hand and it just gives those useful, uh, I do want to say reliable assets, that bit more longevity. I think that's decent, yeah. So so yeah, two possibilities. One, the asset that you've really lent heavily into and put your custom ammunition on and all of the other attachments. Is custom ammunition an upgrade? Great blessed? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure reliable is an upgrade though. Yeah, anyway, that's probably the more elaborate use for this card. The simpler use is simply as you're spending a card to protect that vital piece of your setup. And that's fine. For for one XP that's okay. It would be probably bonkers if it was zero XP. You could essentially start ignoring willpower tests because you just decided you're not going to worry about losing items. Okay, yeah, let's let's push on because the next card is Mr. Rook. This card was also announced by FFG, but it's not. It's Mr. Air Quotes Rook. So maybe we'll see a chess theme. I don't know. This is a three-cost seeker asset, ally trait. It's got a willpower icon, two health and two sanity as well, like Alice Luxley. Uses three secrets. Free trigger, exhaust Mr. Rook and spend one secret. Search the top three, six or nine cards of your deck for any card and draw it. And if you're thinking, why would I not search nine? If at least one weakness is among the searched cards, draw one of them as well. Shuffle your deck. Are you sure you want to know? There is no going back. Three cost for a 2-2 body. Malison smashes that out of the water as a one cost 2-2. But a 2-2 body is still decent enough. Three cost to draw three cards over three consecutive turns is probably a little bit below the curve. Preposterous sketches draws you three at once for two cost. Or zero cost if you've upgraded it. But it's not that he's just drawing you three cards. It's three filtered draws. And you get to choose how much filter draw you do, which is probably quite hard to put a price on. If you've already seen your two weaknesses, say say we're early in the campaign where you've only got two weaknesses. I've just been playing Carcosa where it's, oh, just seen four of my weaknesses. Great. Only another 17 to go. Anyway, if you're, if you're playing a, a standard deck where you don't have too many weaknesses and you've seen them early on, which is quite possible, or if you're playing as Joe and you only have one weakness in your main deck, Digging through nine cards is the most powerful filtered draw we've seen so far. Uh, Prepared for the worst allows you to search nine cards, but you're looking for a specific card. And it's only when you get to no stone unturned level five that you can search further. So that's pretty decent, I'd say, for Mr. Rook. Personally, I like it. And I like that once you've played Mr. Rook, you can use him as and when you need to and, and dig. I'm thinking now as well of the conversations I've had with Peter about opening up that ally slot in Seeker, and this takes takes it in such a different direction. I'd say it's you know a little bit like Ellie Horowitz, who's a bit more focused. This 
you've got so many options with Mr. Rook of what you could be looking for, or what you could could do. That yeah, I'm sort of quietly excited. I think I love the idea of maybe investigation phase begins. You haven't drawn many enemies in your team, and you think, great, this is actually a perfect time for say connect the dots or crack the case or any of these other cards that trigger off clearing up clues but you don't have it yet so you tap mr rook search nine cards get one of those things set up that play or similarly if you're playing in carcosa and you need those fine clothes you tap mr rook first action search nine for fine clothes if if you're playing any deck that has specific things you want to look for so not just a, a good stuff deck mr rook helps set that up he's also a nice enough target from truth from fiction because you spend an action and two to give him another couple of secrets and get another couple of cards. It's fine. N- nothing to write home about, but nothing dreadful. Uh, yeah, I I really hope that we see an investigator soon who can do something around secrets, because I think there's potential there. I'm trying a couple of things, but I've not quite seen it hit critical mass yet. Okay, and the next card is the Hawkeye Folding Camera, announced to the world by us on Drawn to the Flame very recently. So if you've not heard us talking about the Hawkeye Folding Camera, I recommend going and looking up our Visions of Future Past episode, and we talk about it. And there's also a really good bit of discussion there, mostly from Peter, not from me, but him talking through how Seeker is changing and what Seeker economy could look like and how Hawkeye Folding Camera fits in with that. So I suppose I should read it just for completeness's sake. The Hawkeye Folding Camera is a two-cost Seeker asset. It's item and tool traded and it has a willpower icon. It has a reaction. After the last clue is discovered from your location, place one resource from the token pool on this card as evidence. Limit once per game at each location. While Hawkeye Folding Camera has one or more evidence, you get plus one willpower. Two or more evidence, you get plus one intellect. Three or more evidence, you get plus one sanity. It's nice enough, I would say. I am still scratching my head over how quickly one can get it charged and that really weird, a little bit like Alice actually, the, the clash between it's re- it, it doesn't do anything for you until you've done the thing that it's then going to help you do, namely get clues. It's like Alice helps you get clues, but if you have an enemy on you, she doesn't help you kill that enemy until you get clues, which is complicated. You know, it just there's a slight... Uh, what am I trying to say? It's all just a little bit tangled up the order. Hawkeye Folding Camera is the same. You play it down, you have the potential for three different boosts, but you've actually still got to get on with the bread and butter work of getting clues first. Okay, rattling through. Wow, we're over to Rhodes. I think this is just a 10-card pack. Nice and simple. Two for everyone. Henry One, Aspiring actor. This is a rogue asset. It's ally and criminal traded. Three cost, like Mr. Rook. Agility icon. Only one health and two sanity. Action. Exhaust Henry one. One at a time. Reveal random tokens from the chaos bag until you choose to stop or until you reveal a skull, cultist, tablet, elder thing or autofail symbol. If you chose to stop, for each token revealed via this effect, you may either draw one card or gain one resource. And if you revealed any of the special symbols, do nothing. Which is just horribly mean. Um, floating around the internet, there's someone who's designed a deck that could seal, I think, pretty much everything it needs to seal. Uh, particularly if you're playing in Dunwich and there are only three, two skulls, a cultist, and an autofail, you can seal all four of those without too much problem. And then that means Henry One, every time you tap him, 
you can reveal every other token in the bag and that works out is it 15 in the bag at the start of Dunwich it's 15 or 16 so it works out as essentially draw 12 or gain 12 resources if you've done the setup which is ludicrous I think someone else pointed out that you need to at least reveal three for it to be worthwhile but I'll be honest with you this card really confuses me it definitely feeds into the roguish gambling style but it comes at pretty intensive action cost you've had to play three in action to play henry and then you spend an action every time you want to exhaust henry to try and the risk is that you fish and you maybe take two tokens and get a couple of cards or a couple of resources which to be honest with you as i say a lot that out loud i think maybe that's good that rogues can't just draw eight cards you know, or that they can't even draw three cards without risk, that they're not seekers who have that draw. And there's the potential for this in that roguish gambling way to cheat and set yourself up so you can get oodles of resources with it. But maybe what you'll end up doing is, with the spare actions you have, exhausting Henry once every, say, three turns. And if he gets you a couple of cards every three turns, having done that over the course of a scenario maybe four times, I'd be feeling like that was an okay investment. But yeah, I definitely want to test it out because it's so odd to me. And there might be times where you just try and try and try and get nothing. A little bit like, do you remember playing um, Arcane Initiate and looking for a spell and just tapping Arcane Initiate every single turn and not finding a spell and it being infuriating? I can imagine Henry One being exactly the same, but the difference being that you're actually spending an action to use Henry, which is kind of nasty. Okay, and the next card is another rogue card. It's a rogue event, Swift Reflexes, Gambit traded, a two-cost event with double agility icons. Fast, play during any investigator's turn, except during an action. Immediately take an action as if it were your turn. This action does not count towards the number of actions you can take each turn. Wow. Okay. That's terrific, right? Yeah, it is. It's great. I'll tell you why it's great. It's great because all of those times where someone says, oh, okay, I'll go first, I'll do X, Y, and Z, and then you can follow on from me, and they do the first two things and end up with an enemy engaged with them or failing an evade or whatever else it is, and they're then thinking, oh, crumbs, maybe you should have gone first and killed this enemy because now I'm stuck and I'm going to have to forfeit my actions or take a tax opportunity or take tests I don't want to do. And with Swift Reflexes, you pay to take the enemy off them, or pay to kill the enemy, whatever else it is. At its simplest, it's Skids' ability on a card. So if you're playing a couple of Swift Reflexes in Skids, you could take a six-action turn. It would cost you six resources, but and having both in hand. But you'd have a six-action turn before you're even looking at Leo DeLuca, Ace in the Hole, Quick Thinking, Borrow Time, anything like that. Wow, super handy. It's also just the capacity for actions to break the frame of the game is so strong. I've been playing a little bit of Marie. Once you have a Doom down, you take four action turns consistently. It's so powerful. I can't stress it enough. Can't understress essentially how vital it is if you have that opportunity to take extra actions. You know, I, I su- suggested one option, which was dealing with enemies. But there might be so many other times as well where, say, 
yeah, say your turn has been forced to be ended, you could play this to then do something if as long as there's someone else's investigator's turn to take. Pretty good too. Yeah, there's just so many occasions where this card, I can see it being helpful, not because it does something particularly wild, but just because it gives options for all sorts of crazy plays. So yeah, whether that's interrupting the flow of a turn to spend an action shooting something, or whether it's interrupting the flow of a turn to get further away from an enemy, or you know, in Essex, moving on once someone else has got the last clue from a from a car, that is all really strong, I think. Or you know, the classic spend two and a card to tap Henry one and go gambling. <laughs> maybe, probably not, but maybe. Okay, now we're on to Mystic. Oh wow! Call back to Eldritch Horror. It's Wither. This is a two-cost mystic asset with a combat icon. It's spell-traded. Oh, here we go. Action, fight. This attack uses willpower instead of combat. If a skull cultist tablet or elder thing symbol is revered during this attack, the attacked enemy gets minus one fight, minus one evade for the remainder of the turn to a minimum of one. Oh, okay. Uh, And it takes up the arcane slot. I know what the next card is going to be because it was announced by Mythos Busters. Thanks, guys. Awesome announcement. And that I'm going to look at that one as well, I think, because we should probably look at these two as a pair. Um, oh, no, I'll carry on. I'll carry on. So the, the obvious comparison is with Shriveling. This is one cheaper. It still allows you to use willpower, but there's no damage boost. But instead, this has a positive effect. If you draw any of the special symbols, it makes fighting and evading better for the remainder of the turn. Uh, remainder of the turn, so that means it's only your turn. I mean, that's maybe nice that you wither an enemy first and it lowers their evade value if you hit one of those tokens and that then allows you to mists away or something like that. Man, every mystic deck is going to be running sign magic now, isn't it? There's just so many options. The other thing that's delightful about this card is that three health enemies won't cost you two charges of shriveling, which means you can save those shriveling charges. It also means if you want to be a combat mystic, you can put these in and shriveling and upgrade into Shards of the Void and Song of the Dead. And you've got lots of spell assets that use your primary stat and mean you can fight and you can choose which you use. So that seems, yeah, decent to me. I think that that ability triggering off the special symbols isn't blowing my mind, but... It's still okay, I suppose. And particularly if you're going to shrivel second, you're going to use this to attack first. Why would you ever shrivel first anyway if you know that you might hit this? That in itself is good, and it's also an effect that doesn't have a downside. So I suppose you could Eldritch Inspiration and lower the, their fight and evade twice. Seems okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And the next card is six cents. This is a three-cost asset with an intellect icon. And it reads, action, investigate, investigate using willpower instead of intellect. If a special symbol is revealed during this test, you may choose a revealed location connected to your location. You are now investigating as if you're at the chosen location instead of your location. You may use any uh, uh, either shroud value, also spell traded, also arcane slotted. <laughs> Essentially, take everything I said for wither and shriveling and swap it for six cents and right of seeking. It's cheaper. It allows you to use willpower, but it is it is chargeless, so you can use it unlimitedly. It doesn't come with action compression, but it also comes with a symbol effect that's more reliable. 
uh, or rather a symbol effect that's not negative, no more do you have that risk of your turn ending. It also means for odd numbers of clues, you can use six cents for the first action and right of seeking for the second and get three clues. Pretty nice. And the symbol effect just adds a little bit more flexibility. Both of these feel like spells that you'd want to use first action, because if you hit a token effect, that might really open up what you can do for the rest of the turn. So with Wither, it might mean that you lower the fight and evade of an enemy, and that means you then choose to evade second action rather than fight again, because their evade value is down to one, say, uh, with six cents. It might mean if you hit a token, you actually get a clue from somewhere else first action. You stay put and investigate again because you've still got clues to get where you are. I love the idea now as well of uh, clue getting mystic with six cents, right of seeking, drawn to the flame. I think that card helps you get clues, can't quite remember. And maybe things playing around with charging up, adding more more charges to spells as well to keep going. That seems like you could be a real powerhouse. I'm wondering that maybe Akachi likes that. Not not sure if it's just Akachi, but yeah, that could be super strong. Super strong. Okay, so that's Mystics. We're racing through here. Ah, now we're on to Survivors. First Survivor card is a Survivor asset. Drawing Thin. It's zero cost, willpower icon, it's a talent, and it has a reaction. When you initiate a skill test, exhaust Drawing Thin. Increase the difficulty of this test by two. Gain two resources or draw one card. Oh my word. And the art is a man hiding behind a counter looking incredibly fearful as something comes into the shop. Okay, a zero cost asset doesn't take up a slot. You can bump the difficulty of tests to gain two resources or draw a card. The comparison I can think of is take heart. Take heart, you commit to a test, and if you fail, you get two cards and two resources. This is two resources or one card, and you've upped the difficulty ahead of time proactively. So take heart is more, you know, you draw a willpower five test, you know there's no way you're going to pass, so you chuck take heart and then make something out of it. Drawing thin, you can get so much from it, the two resources or draw one card. You could almost go looking for challenges. Before the circle I've done, I'd say that you could just investigate then, bump the shroud of a place up to five or six, just to get two clues and draw or draw a card. You know, at that point, if you've got a rabbit's foot out as well, you're getting two resources and a card for taking an action. The action compression there starts to become really powerful. If you're someone like Calvin, you might want to fail some tests anyway to get bumped up, so you don't care at all. This becomes your economy engine early on. It's just strong, right? And I think of, of this as resource generation for Yorick, who loves resources as a guardian, just desperate to get resources out pretty damn good to be honest with you i'm just scratching my head to think of a downside with this i suppose you've got to find it and play it you know you can't just have it sitting in your hand like take heart it requires a little bit more of a setup and i suppose you don't want to necessarily just be throwing all the tests you take on higher difficulties the penalty for failing on certain tokens might be a little bit worse as well you know particularly if there's anything to do with adding doom to enemies that can be really tricky so I wouldn't go so far as to say you could just use this on any test you wanted to. But it also adds the option that if you were going to take a resource ever, 
you're allowed to take two resources with this. I suppose I'm now now I'm finding the downside of it. You've drawn it and played it, and then if you're just using it to draw cards, there's not that much use out of it. You may as well have just drawn cards and you'd be two ahead rather than playing drawing thin. But if you're playing anything that plays around with failure, like I said with Rabbit's Foot, the long-term ability of this is great. And I think I think definitely for those tests that you think, I have no chance of passing this, say it's Calvin and you've not taken any damage and you draw an agility test off the encounter deck, you go, right, I'm not going to pass this, no way, so I'm going to make the agility test even harder. The penalty is going to be two damage or whatever it is, so that's fine, but I'll also make some resources out of it. And I suppose the flip side is, if you play this in Rita or Yorick and you're evading or fighting low evade or fight enemies respectively you know i've been playing rita and i have track shoes down and big man on campus i've got seven agility i don't mind if i'm evading something it's a difficulty two or a difficulty four i'm still gonna probably pass so maybe i would want to tap drawing thin and go yeah that's fine i'll draw a card off evading this enemy as well nice that's good it feels very survivory you know the the rogue way of would be profiting off the evasion and this is making things harder for yourself, but profiting out of that. That feels very survivory. Okay, oh, the last card is Belly of the Beast. It's Gambit and Trick Traded, a one-cost event with willpower and agility icons. Fast, play after you successfully had evade an enemy by two or more. Discover one clue at that enemy's location. That's good, right? That's, I mean, that's a Rita card straight up. I suppose also you combo it with Stray Cat, say, and you get a clue. It's another way of getting clues. Uh, who can take Alice and Belly of the Beast? Uh, Yorick. Probably not doing too much evading. You could buff him up. He's a three agility. Nah, he's probably not, though. I'd see that straight away as a Rita card, I think. Also, I could imagine a Calvin situation where you've got your physical stats really buffed, but your mental stats not that buffed, in which case this is a way of you still advancing and collect clues. It's pretty nice. Yeah. The two or more claws, again, Rita's jumping out to me. Her agility's so high. Probably you wouldn't combine drawing thin, tapping that on an evasion, and hope to get belly of the beast. I mean, Wendy likes it as well, right? She's got high agility. She's cool with that. Good. They feel to me, the two survivor cards, just incredibly solid. And actually, I'd say that about the mystic cards as well. They're filling out space in the card pool in a way that feels new, but also feels like it's really challenging players to find the best fit for themselves. Just going back to Mystic Cards, I was thinking about signed magic and playing as Marie and trying to work out how many spell assets do I want to run? Do I want to play signed magic just so I can run more spell assets? Of course, if my spell assets aren't ever running out, like Wither and Sixth Sense, then those slots become much more contentious. It's the same if you play a firearm or a melee guardian style. If you're just playing machete, you don't need your other hands, or you can use whatever you like in your other hands. And and if you start running a couple of items that hang around for most of the game, you start to run into trouble. Whereas if you're playing a 45 automatic and when you run out of ammo, playing another one and you're happy to lose the first one, you don't care in the same way. So, I mean, I suppose it's different for Mystic because they have different ways of topping up their assets or they might be sacrificing them but yeah there's a there's a kind of well there's a there's a knotty conundrum to be worked out 
historically a mystic might just run right of seeking and tribbling, broadly speaking. And now you might see one that runs tribbling and sixth sense, or wither for killing rats and right of seeking, or some combination, maybe two of the combat of one of the clues, or vice versa and sixth sense, uh, and sign magic. Yeah, fascinating to me. The rogues, did they get a bum deal with Henry? No, we just need to try them out and get it working and come up with those amazing stories where someone gambles and draws eight tokens and gets eight resources just for fun. You know, if you can get those eight resources, that that pays for the crazy swift reflexes Leo play, doesn't it? You just chuck a couple of cards, pay as Leo DeLuca, and, you know, you've just had a double turn one turn. Pretty nice. Okay, that's me done. Uh, apologies if I sound super bunged up. I mean, I know I do. And that maybe my takes were pretty paltry. I just thought it'd be better to get something out than to never record again as my head explodes. So yeah, let me know what you thought. Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on designed by humans. We're drawn to the flame on Patreon. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook. We're drawn to the flame on Twitter. Funny that, we're just around the place. And yeah, thanks very much for listening. Tell me which card you're most excited about and where it would fit. I'm always intrigued to hear what's jumping out for players and what are the newer decks they're excited about. So yeah, take care. Bye.